the wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time. But it was a beginning. Hello and welcome to The Wind Was a Beginning, where we talk about Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time. This is Season 2, Episode 5, Not a Goat Kissing Track. This is The Wind Was a Beginning, and we are here once again to talk about The Wheel of Time. My name is Justin, and I'm joined, as always, by my good buddy Steven. Steven, say hi to everybody. Hey, everybody. And this week, we are going to be discussing chapters 13 through 15 of Book 2 of The Wheel of Time, The Great Hunt. So, if you haven't read those yet, we would encourage you to... Take a few minutes. These are actually really short chapters, so it won't take you very long to read. So take a few minutes, go and read those chapters, and then come back and join in on the fun as we as we discuss uh, discuss those those three chapters. So, Stephen, you you doing all right tonight, buddy? Hey, I'm doing great. Uh, it's you know been a kind of crazy week, but I am super excited to be here and to be jumping back into these books and. Uh, escaping for a little while into the wheel of time <laughs> yeah i hear that uh we were we were just talking off air and i was telling you how if i could just get the weatherman to tell me the truth it would be a great week but uh he seems to he seems to want to lie to me this week so uh, me and the weatherman are not friends yeah uh but other than that yeah. everything is going good it's it's busy uh but it's a good kind of busy so you know I'm, I, I love what i do and doing what i love so uh, and and yeah, that's I get the best kind of busy. Yeah, I get the added bonus of talking about these books that uh, I don't know if I if I if I love them as much as you do, but <laughs> I, I really I, <laughs> well, I enjoy haven't them. Finished them yet? I, I love these books. I, I really do, and I'm excited to keep pressing forward and diving into uh, just the lore and the all of the things that are happening and and just. Oh, I want to see what comes next. So, uh, why don't we just dive right into it for this week? I'm ready when you are. All right. So, we are beginning in Chapter 13, From Stone to Stone. Rand, Huron, and Loyal wake up alone in a strange place next to a tall stone with strange markings. Though Loyal thinks he knows what has happened, he doesn't fully understand the small bit of information he had once read about these stones. Rand, meanwhile, is thrust into a leadership role as Huron trusts in Lord Rand to get them back to their own world. Strangely, though, Huron can faintly pick up on the trail of the Dark Friends even in this place. So I realized as, I, as I'm going through that, uh, I used the word strange or strangely quite a few times uh, in... <laughs> in that summary of this chapter. And I know that you were really excited to talk about what's going on here. So I'm, I'm, I'm just going to let you take it away because uh, I think this is a little bit above my pay grade, but I'm going to let you uh, 
Tell us. Yes. Tell us what you so, can. Let me ask you real quick, because um, I think you have a, a copy of the book there in front of you, don't you? I do. Okay. Do me a favor. Um, will you read the line that Loyal reads or remembers from the the book he read? It should be in the first couple of pages of this chapter. Okay. Uh, I'm assuming, let's see. Yeah. Um, from stone to stone run the lines of if between the worlds that might be. And and I'm I'm with I'm I'm with Rand in his his very next question. What does that mean, Loyal? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> the lines of if the worlds that could be. So what we have here <laughs> is a for oh this will date us. Okay. So uh, a recent movie just came out. Uh, uh-huh. called The Multiverse of Madness. Um, apropos, this is our introduction to the Wheel of Time multiverse, kind of. Okay. So what these stones do, they run between ifs and the worlds that could be, it's basically every time a decision is made, a world is spun out by the pattern that could possibly become the true world the farther away they are from the main timeline the more faint and distorted the worlds are the closer they are to our main timeline the more vivid the more like our own timeline they are in the living and the the uh feeling of the atmosphere so basically what you have here is this ever-branching shifting world uh, and Rand and fellows have basically been shunted from our prime reality into a possible reality. So, it, and it's really neat because it's basically these stones that we don't have a tremendous amount of, uh, you know, info on here, but they predate at least our modern age. And possibly the Age of Legends. Yeah, that was something that I found kind of curious is that it, it, it's mentioned that they, they could be something from even before the Age of Legends. So we're talking, you know, uh, who, who knows how old they could be. Yeah. And, you know, and they are, there's also the possibility that they're like a part of the world. Like, so they possibly predate the Age of Legends. They could possibly be something that's always been here. Hmm. You know, we're not really given that, you know, for all we know, these were when the world was first spun out in the pattern, these could have been part of it. Uh, we don't have any evidence to say one so, way or the other. So, so not made by beings in the world, but made at the dawn of creation or, or just I mean, that is in a, existence at the dawn of creation. Yeah. It's a legitimate theory. I don't know that I necessarily believe that because there's a, you know, basically there are symbols and writings and things like that on the columns, but none of it is necessarily stuff that they understand. So maybe it's some kind of like proto language. Yeah. So the, it's, it's the, the interesting. A, it's the aliens. The, 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 yeah. It, it It's, it's the aliens. We'll, we'll just, 
That's all we need to know. You know, just like they helped, you know, the Egyptians build the pyramids and the Celts build Stonehenge. The aliens put these these stones there. Got it. Good good to go. <laughs> yeah, and you bring up aliens jokingly, but we can't completely rule out extraterrestrial life in this universe. Uh, this is a universe that is based off of our reality, and we even have the story of Lynn, who flew to the moon. So we know at some point in the history of this world, space travel has been a thing. Okay, yeah, so, that's true. And we don't know, you know, we don't know what they got up to during the Age of Legends or in other possible ages. So, I mean, who knows? There could be all kinds of things going on extra outside yeah. of the scope of this land. Yeah. Like, uh, like I, I get the, like the basic idea of, of a multiverse, you know, like, you know, the simple parts of it, but I, I it just, <laughs> so much of that just goes over my head. I guess that's where like, you know, I, I just never spent a whole lot of time with that kind of thing. So I'm glad that you, that you so, understand it. <laughs> So think about it this way. So like every time a person chooses to go left or right, depending on what one world is made where they chose to go right, another world comes into existence where they chose to go left. Now, the validity and strength of the world that is created would be solely dependent on how closely it ties into the main timeline. So worlds that... Basically, where somebody just chose to go left instead of right, but the main events of that world happen the same still. They're going to be stronger and more closely tied to the main timeline. Whereas worlds where, say, Tam decided not to pick Rand up out of the snow as a baby and Rand died of hypothermia when he was an infant. Those worlds are going to be drastically different and are not going to be nearly as strong or as vivid. Uh, they're going to be more distant, more broken, almost like figments, smoke in a mirror kind of worlds. Uh, so the farther you get away from the main timeline, the weaker these worlds and the more uh, insubstantial these worlds become. So is that is that part of the reason why this world doesn't seem to be in, in as clear a focus? Correct. It's, okay. Which I have, I have thoughts. A, of, I have thoughts about you know things that haven't been revealed yet that that I know of that you know what's going on yeah. here. But just the, the 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 theory of it is a little, like I said, it's a little bit above my pay grade. I, I did <laughs> find it interesting um, that Huron can still pick up on the trail of the Dark Friends, um, even though it's faint. It's faint, but he can still pick up it. I mean, there's more that's that's said about that. Uh, a little bit later, um, but he's he's still seemingly able to track them through, and, and even thinks that they've been here too. I don't know if I don't know if I agree with them on that. I think there's something else at play, but you know, they're still able to to follow where where they've been. Yeah, it's it's interesting how that works, and I have a theory as to why it does. Um, but I think we'll touch on that a little later in the episode when, when we get to something else. Okay. Uh, but I do have a theory as to why he's able to smell them. Okay. Uh, All right. But I don't want to go into it quite yet due to spoilers. Well, let's let's talk about the, the big steps that Rand takes then. Yeah. So 
he finally, even if it is reluctantly, is kind of stepping into this role uh, that people, you know, Moraine specifically has been trying to push him into, I think. But yeah. now he reluctantly steps into it just because he, I guess he, he feels like he has to. Yeah, he, he he feels responsible. Like he he thinks, and and maybe rightly so, that he brought them here through 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 the power in some way, and he feels the responsibility to make it right. Yeah, and and what I what I think about that, and the thought that came to my mind when when you know, kind of kind of going over that with with in my head was that you know. Sometimes those are the best leaders. It's the ones yeah. who don't it's the ones who don't seek leadership who who aren't like going after it. They're not trying to become leaders, but when they know that that's what's needed, they accept it. And I think those really yeah, I do agree with e- you. E- even in in our own age, you know, those make the best the best leaders because it's it's not you know, it's it's not about power. It's not about the prestige. It's just about doing what needs to be done when it needs to be done. And uh, you know, I think that's a something that I guess we could really learn from. You know, not you know that that's the the uh, the best way to go about it. But you know, I I applaud Rand for stepping up and and taking the role that needed to be done. Even, even to the point of trying to do something he doesn't really want to do. Yeah, in, in, I think in, it's it's admirable of him here. He he purposefully tries to channel. Yeah, for the first time, at least. Right. Well, yeah, pretty much for the first time. The other, t- he purposefully tries to grab hold of something before when he's in the village with that whole vision thing, but he yeah. doesn't really. It's more of a last-ditch instinct grabbing at life as and opposed I'm, to actually consciously thinking of what he's doing. Right, and I, I got the—I got the—I I didn't get the impression from that previous situation in the village that he was, you know, entirely conscious of what exactly he was doing. But yeah. here, no, here, here, he knows that I'm trying to channel the one power. Yep. But it's—it's it's a struggle for him. Yeah, and and I'm I'm curious about that. I, I'm trying to understand why. Well, I would I would say, obviously, and and it's been mentioned many times before. He doesn't have anybody to train him, like the women do, because the women can't teach men how to how to handle Sidine any more than a man could teach a woman how to handle Sidar. So I think that's a factor too. Something that came to my mind though, and, and I know I know you had some thoughts on it too. Something that came to my mind was uh, we we just talked I think in the last chapter about women who basically learn to channel on their own. Baron uses the word wilders, uh, referring to naive that that there there are blocks that they set up that hinder their ability to touch the power, and sometimes that's because they're afraid of admitting to themselves what they're doing. Right. And I have to wonder if maybe not that's not something like this is going on with Rand because we know he's afraid of what he's doing. We 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 know he doesn't really want to channel the power but he's doing it or trying to do it out of a necessity. Am I completely off base on that or 
No, I I think you're on to it. Um, I don't think I don't think it it. So okay, I I think that you are correct that it is very similar in a lot of ways to what happens with Wilders. But I don't think in this instance that what's happened here is that his subconscious has set up a block. I think what's happening here is his complete lack of understanding of how Sidar even behaves or works is working against him. Sidine, you mean? So, yes. Well, Sidar as well. But with with Egwene, for instance, when she's learning to channel... Uh, we see time and time again, she tries to to do it, and she just can't. Or right. she she thinks she's got it, and then it just slips away. So there's a big difference between Sidene and Sidar. So with Sidar, the female half, uh, they are taught to surrender to the power, to give themselves over to it, to let it fill them, whereas Sidar has to Sidene. be controlled. Sidene, I keep saying it wrong tonight. Sidene, you have to grab a hold of and take control of it, or it will take control of you. And I think what's happening here is because Rand is not fully committed, because he doesn't really want to channel, he doesn't, he's not using the strength of will to really take hold of Sidene. And because of that, I think Sidene lashes back against him basically because he's not taking that conscious focus and will to make it basically with Sidene when a male wants to channel he has to grab a hold of Sidene and force it to his will that's how that works and Rand's not doing that if if he's not if he's not fully committed he's not going to be able to either he won't be able to use it at all or it won't be as effective yeah so I think what's happening here is the fact that because he's still so torn, and I think it's also, it is something of what, what Egwene experienced too, is that until you understand how it works and until you spend time working with the power um, and learn to channel, basically, through experience, just like uh, Varen talks like with Egwene, how it will come more easily as you work with it more. As you open yourself to it more, it will become easier, and eventually you'll be able to just do it without even thinking. Rand's not at that point. He's basically at the point Egwene was at back in the the wood tent with Moraine, except he has no teacher. So the chances of him even being able to get a hold of the source are slim. And then when he does, whether or not he's going to be able to control it or actually bend it to his will is completely another thing altogether. Yeah. Um, But I don't think it's necessarily like you were thinking like a subconscious block as it's more of a conscious unwillingness. Okay. Like, even though he's reluctantly willing at this point to try and do it, he can't lie to himself. He still doesn't really want to do it. And I think that that little bit of hesitation there yeah. is what causes this reaction. Yeah, that, that um, makes sense. And you, you mentioned how it's almost like Sidene is, like, lashing back at him. And it, yeah. is that is that... Is that why the void reacts the way that it does? Uh, he says, "Yeah, that it, I think it's so. Like it, it's it's shattered. It, you said normally the void just it's almost like popping a bubble, but in this case, it, it shatters like a like a I guess like a window or a mirror or something like that. Yeah. So so it's that you know, Sidene 
fighting back, so to speak. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and that, that actually, I guess, when you when you when you explain it like that, it actually does make a lot of sense. Uh, so it's not, and you, like you said, it's not the same as what it's not the same as what Nynaeve is dealing with with her challenges that yeah. she's facing. Although even with her, there's still you know it, it it maybe comes a little bit from the same place, and it's that reluctance mm-hmm. to 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 channel. Yeah, it, it just it's it's done. It, it kind of takes a different form. Yeah. so to speak, because think, of the differences. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I think no. I think Nynaeve is exactly from the same place. I think it, the difference is just that Nynaeve's is deeply rooted in, in her subconscious because she didn't understand what she was doing. She had no idea she was channeling. She wasn't trying to. She just sometimes her healing got better. Right. You know, it wasn't even a thing that she ever acknowledged on a conscious level. And so for her, that block and that uh, that hardship there to try and channel now is deeply rooted in her subconscious. So that's something she's going to have to basically reteach her brain and to overcome. Whereas Rand, it's the same kind of block, but his is on a conscious level and it's a new thing. Whereas yeah. Nynaeve's has been some... Nynaeve's is like concrete that it has set in her subconscious for years. I say she's been doing it whereas, for years. Yeah. Whereas Rand has is new to this. So while maybe there are some blocks that are forming, they're still fresh, basically. Right. They're not solidified, so they can be broken past pretty easily once he's willing to do so. So he's just got to he, – he, he needs to be more accepting of who and what yep. he is. He has to learn to take command yeah. in more ways than one. Uh, it, it, if you don't, Sidine will kill anyone who tries to wield it and who doesn't take control. I like the way you put that about him having to learn to take command. Because we yep. see him kind of do it in one way in this chapter, but not in another way. Is there anything else you wanna, wanted to comment on there? or uh, No, I think that, that pretty well covers what I had to say on that. Okay, because um, I, I want to get into this next chapter because I'm excited about this chapter. Chapter 14, Wolf Brother. Lord Ingtar is in a right state that three of his company and their horses disappeared with not a goat kissing track. Perrin, however, (laughs) thinks he has a solution, the one he is reluctant to try. Though it's unclear where Rand and the others went, Perrin learns that Padden Fane and company are still headed south but it's not long before the pursuers realize that they are being pursued by none other than Varen Sedai, sent by Moraine, and who is extremely curious about where Rand has gone. Before we get into what we had written down to talk about, can we just talk about Uno and his expressions? You know, some of them, <laughs> you know, like, you know, flaming and, and bloody and bleeding and, and, and that kind of thing, but not a goat kissing track. I love it. And there was something in the uh, previous chapter. I got to go find that now. Um, <laughs> something that he had said that stood out to me that I just thought was hilarious. I, I, I'm going to call them yeah. Uno-isms. <laughs> and uh, I'm, in, I'm enjoying them quite a bit. Which, you know, I understand that, you know, in this kind of society, what he's saying for some is considered very vulgar. 
Yeah, um, so what you're getting here is the first... You've seen a little taste of it with Mac, because yeah. he likes his words. But uh, what you're seeing here is basically the fact that Robert Jordan, when he wrote these books, chose not to use what what our culture would see as curse words or right. vulgarities. So he makes up his own. He kind of did the <laughs> and, he kind of did the opposite of what Martin did. Martin uses, you know, all yeah. the words that that we know. But uh, yeah, Jordan yep. made up his own. And and I found the one I was looking for. Another one from Uno, the sheep gutted milk drinker. Yep. I'm gonna find a way to use that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, there's a lot of fun ones between him. Uh, Bail Doman has some fun ones too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like I think one of his is like by my white cursed grandmother or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. Uh, so you know, there there are some fun little little sayings and phrases here. But yeah, I think a lot of them, especially with Uno, are meant to be like I think you're supposed to see Uno as somebody who like basically he cusses like a sailor. Yeah. Like you know he is the the grumpy old war veteran with the uh, you know dirty mouth. And, uh, you know, not not good and polite company with women, that kind of thing. You know, he's he's uh, the grizzled old veteran, uh, which is fun. And you I, know, I say, it makes him kind of endearing because he stands I'm in, out. I'm enjoying Uno so far. <laughs> yeah. And I, I know he's got other roles to play uh, perhaps later on. So I hope that's not a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I like Uno. I like all this, the Shanarans, honestly. Yeah. This chapter focuses on Perrin, and he's kind of going through a similar thing as Rand was in the previous chapter. He's having to come to terms with who and what he is out of necessity. Yeah. Because with Huron gone, they have no way to sense the trail of the Dark Friends, but Perrin, Perrin knows that he can do it. Or he, he believes that he can. He's pretty sure that he can. He just has to accept what he can do. And he does yeah. that. He he reach, reaches out to the wolves and they they respond. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's interesting, too, because he's never really done this. You know, he, he kind of, you know, he had the connection with the wolves and Elias. But, uh, you know, that was something that where he was acting actively with the wolves they were near you know he reached out some it was you know when he was captive with the white cloaks the wolves reached out to him but this is really the first time that he has taken the initiative to try and find and connect with the wolves on his own and it's it's interesting to me he manages to do it yet it's a completely different pack than the one he knew sure yet they Um, still they know about him (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we get we get actually get some of the names. There's Smoke and Two Deer and Winter Dawn and all the rest. It's not just those three. There's the rest of the pack, but those are three of the names that were given. But there's another name, and it's the name that they, the wolves, have given to Perrin. Uh, I want to I want to read the description of. <laughs> how they how he learns what his name is because he you know first they think he might be Elias uh who they call Longtooth and there's a description of him yeah. that 
you know, basically because of the, he carries the, the knife, they, they call him Longtooth. Uh, and Perrin sends a, an image of himself to the wolves, but they send, they send one back. And, and it's described in this way. It says, it was not the image he had made. A young man with heavy shoulders and shaggy brown curls. A young man with an axe at his belt who others thought moved and thought slowly. That man was there somewhere in the mind picture that came from the wolves, but stronger by far was a massive wild bull with curved horns of shining metal running through the night with the speed and exuberance of youth, curly-haired coat gleaming in the moonlight, flinging himself in among white cloaks on their horses with the air crisp and cold and dark and blood so red on the horns. And so Perrin has been given the name young bull by yep. the wolves and and he is i guess he's accepting of it but he's also he doesn't want to remember how he got the name yeah um, we see so we see I a think- couple of, we see a couple of times through here he's very he, he's telling himself i will not kill again yeah so i think this is our first encounter with the fact that Perrin kind of has like ptsd from what happened um not with what happened to him but what he did when he let yeah. himself lose control. And I think that the way the wolves see him here is just another like slap in the face to him because it's like, you know, that's the thing he doesn't want to think about. The fact that he yeah. killed those men in a rage and their entire like way they see him has been shaped is, by that. Is because of that. Yeah. It, 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 I, I can, you know, I guess I can kind of feel where he's coming from on that. Um, yeah. Not that I've not that I've ever killed a man, but uh, just yeah. knowing, you know, it, it's something that you can't you can't just forget about it. If yeah. you're a normal person, you know, it's something yeah, that even that though will stick the, with you. you know the people that he killed by all rights, I mean, def like they had it coming, like they weren't innocent, right? Uh, he didn't kill, you know, a random woman and her child in their sleep. He's, you know, these were soldiers who were were ready to kill him and his and, wolf friends and 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 others yeah he he did so it he did it out he, of he did it to protect himself and others yeah. uh but i imagine that doesn't make it any easier that's part of parents problem is while everyone else around him can forgive him and move on he can't because he feel he has this innate sense of guilt for taking a life, whether it was justified or in self-defense or not. Yeah. You know, other people, Egwene, Moraine, everybody else, you know, Naive, all the others that, that know what happened, or I guess it's more specifically just Egwene, yeah. are fine with moving past it, you know? But yeah, he but just can't let it go. They're not the ones who swung the axe. Yeah. And I, I, I think that makes a difference when you're not the one who actually takes the life it it does make a difference um man we're getting dark (laughs) (laughs) but i mean these these books do get dark and and we're getting into perrin's head and there is there is trauma there yeah and and so we 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 want to you know i i can i guess empathize with him i can't i don't know exactly what he's feeling but I think the other part of the equation for Perrin, too, is that this he is the person, you know, we get this from Dave, from the first time we meet him. 
He's the person who picks his way gently through a crowd. He thinks about where every step is going to land so he doesn't hurt anyone. Right. He's the gentle giant stereotype. Yeah. And the one time in his life that he loses control, he ends up killing someone. Yeah. And so it's like he's he's taught himself his entire life because he's bigger, because he's stronger, that he has to be in control. He has to think. He has to watch what he does. And the one time that he gives in to that uh, berserker, that emotion, that rage-filled side, this is what happens. And I think he's having a really hard time coming to grasp with that because he is somebody who who works so hard in his life to stay in control. Yeah. And he even kind of has a moment where he, you know, really gives into the wolfish side uh, after, you know, after he's, he's spoken with them and, and he sent the sent the scent. Yeah. That's a terrible way to say that. <laughs> you know, there's even, as you mentioned, you know, he, he actually started to kind of, kind of snarl a little bit and that, and Matt walks up on him and, and is, you know, really worried about him, but it, it, it does work. Uh, they are able to, he is able to, you know, tell Ingtar they went that way. Yeah. And even tells Ingtar how he knows. Um, yeah. I think, and, and, and Ingtar know. is, is ready to accept it because he had heard about Elias many years ago or however long ago it was. Yeah. So, so good, good on Ingtar for, you know, I guess covering up for Perrin. Yeah. I think too, you know, yes, Ingtar's doing it because he is a good guy, but at the same time, Ingtar's biggest concern right now is that bloody horn. Yeah. And if he had to take a deal from a murder draw to get the horn back, I think at this point he would. I think so. <laughs> uh, he's, and he knows that while he understands it, his men might not be because superstition is a real thing yeah. and it's not a normal thing, you know, so it's better for everyone involved if they just think he can do the same thing Huron can do and because they already understand and accept Huron. So let's just avoid any issues that might pop up and we'll just keep everybody else in the dark. Let's let them be comfortable. Yep. Right, people. People are uh, sometimes afraid of what they don't understand, and this uh, this will at least let them stay comfortable for a little while. Uh, yeah, yeah. Matt, Matt's everybody uh, but Matt, at least. Yeah, Matt. Matt's <laughs> a little suspicious. I, I don't. I don't think Matt has any sense of what's happening, but he he doubts that Perrin is you know a sniffer. He he, he doesn't yeah, buy think- that for a second. I think Matt is just bewildered by what ev- what is going on with everybody at this point because like okay, Rand can channel now. Moraine tries to make trying to make him a false dragon. You know, here he's chasing the stupid dagger and now Perrin's apparently a sniffer. You know, it's just like really <laughs> I think well, he's having he even, a hard time just like gripping what all is happening. Yeah, and he even he even makes that comment like you know, he's the only sane one left that left yeah. Emmons Field. So, well, since, yeah. since we're, since we're talking about Matt, um, I want to, you know, one of the things that, you know, towards the end of this chapter, Ingtar lets them know that they're being followed. And I was really struck by Matt's response to that. Uh, you know, he, at first, even, you know, he, he seemed to think that it could have been ran and it almost seems like he was hopeful that it was ran. 
And the reason I, I think that's significant is because of everything that's been going on between especially the two of them in the past few chapters with, you know, Matt being upset and, and thinking that Rand was trying to play at being a lord and, you know, all of these things. But, you know, I, I know in the previous chapters he was thankful to know that Rand was there because he was concerned about Matt and wanting to find the dagger. But this is almost like a whole other level of almost like he's excited by the possibility that Rand could could be the one following I, them. I have a theory here as to why that is. So in my mind, I think because this is the, you know, Rand and them have been gone for over a day now. And Matt said some things. He walked off. He wasn't exactly kind to Rand at the last time they spoke. Uh, you know, he was justified because, you know, who wants to be around a man who's going to go mad and kill everyone? Sure. Understandable. So, but I think what we're seeing here is Matt has had time to think about it. And I think while he doesn't like what Rand is now, he understands that the only reason Rand is here is because Rand was concerned for him. Yeah. And I think he's hoping it's Rand because I think he wants to make, like, I think there's a part of him that want that feels guilty for how they left things. So kind of, kind of that whole thing of, I don't, I don't want my last words to him to be in yeah. anger. Yeah. I, I found the, the, the quote it when, when Ningtar says that someone was following me, says that Matt turned his horse eagerly. Maybe it's Rand. I knew he wouldn't run out on me. So I just that was yeah. to me a, a touching moment, and, and I like the I like where your head's at on that that you know the the wanting to you know have having time to think about it, wanting to make sure that everything is okay, you know because who yeah. knows what they're getting into, you know Matt is I mean Matt is practically you know staring at his own mortality because he knows if he doesn't get this dagger back going to be the end of his yeah. life and then he's got Rand who uh oh wow the things that Rand is dealing with um unfortunately it's it's not Rand uh it is in Perrin sees before anybody does that it it's a woman <laughs> and not just any woman but an Aes Sedai Varen Sedai to be to be exact yep um she knows a lot she knows about sniffers Yep. <laughs> we we learned that and 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 Ingtar is shocked by that and and we we find out it was Moraine that sent Varen after them and she she rode hard as as long as she had to to catch up to them um so there's something going on uh I don't know what do you what do you think <laughs> what 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 can you say uh, about that I think I like Varen <laughs> uh <laughs> I think it's fun for her to show up. Um, part of me does wonder, though, her showing up here, you know, there was a pretty defined plan for the most part with Moraine and the Armorlin uh, when everybody was getting ready to leave. And it didn't seem like they were planning on anybody going with the boys. Uh, I'm In my mind, it makes me wonder if something has happened that has changed their plans with Varen now being sent to... Basically, I guess babysit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because, well, you know, it's like Moraine was like, oh, we need to let him do his thing. And, you know, we have to let him fulfill the prophecies and blah, blah, blah. And now here's Varen. 
yeah. you know? <laughs> well, uh, and it wasn't like she was sent with them right away. Right, right. That, that's that's the thing that I'm, I'm I'm wondering about because the the last time we saw that group, uh, of course, we were you know from Egwene's point of view as they were traveling toward Tarvalon, and there wasn't a whole lot said. I know there was, you know, Moraine was kind of going here, going there, talking to different people and uh, things like that. And then it's like all of a sudden they wake up one morning and not only uh, Moraine, but not M- Moraine, Varen, and Leandrin are all gone. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe uh, who, who left first? That's the question. <laughs> who? And that's the thing. We're not told. I think you would probably be able to figure a lot of things out if we knew, but uh, I think so. Unfortunately, that's not information we're like, given. Like if 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 Leandrin left first, that would kind of I think clear some things up because you would think Moraine is reacting because because I know we know from earlier she doesn't really trust her. She doesn't really trust Leandrin. No, uh, and probably for good reason. Um, yeah. <laughs> so so if 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 she was the first one to leave, that that may you know, it would open up some doors and, and clear some things up. But since we don't know, you know, questions. Yep. I said I said last week I want answers, not more questions. <laughs> yep. But unfortunately here we, I can't give you any here. Uh well I know some answers, but <laughs> uh yep. not necessarily the answer to this question. But uh so we'll just we'll 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 hang that one on the on the bulletin board and, and maybe we can answer it later uh but shall we shall we move on yeah i think we got one more chapter to yeah. go tonight chapter 15 kinslayer ran and the others continue tr- to traverse this strange land trying to pursue the dark friends loyal crafts a quarterstaff using his talent for tree singing and Huron admits that there's something different about how he's following the trail at night ran encounters by Alzaman, but it's questionable whether or not it's a dream. Then just as suddenly as he appeared, Baalzaman is gone, and Rand has received an interesting mark on his hand. So, there's a lot of mysteries about this place. Yep. There's the, you know, kind of the, the twisting and turning of everything, you know, things seeming kind of hazy or, or not in clear focus, we'd say. And then, you know, if you... If you turn your head too quickly, you know, the just the way the land seems to move is is off-putting. What's um I guess the most curious feature are these these parts of the land that seem to be burned and 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 precise like pre- precise, you know, strip strips of land that uh look this way. Again, I don't know if there's any answers to be given for that right now. Uh, I will say yeah, this. There's, the, there's the, a lot you know, of strangeness here. Yeah, I will say this. Uh, Rand compares it to something he had seen, like painting he had seen from a, a fellow in Emmonsfield named Watley Eldon. They called him Watt for short, W-H-A-T. And for that reason alone, I had to go back and read that paragraph several times because it just, like, I kept <laughs> reading, I kept reading what <laughs> and not what. Yeah. So, uh so thanks for that one. Um, uh, thanks for that one, Robert Jordan. But uh, also another thing about this place is there are no animals, uh, not even no, no birds, no no bugs, no fish. 
there is this weird thing going on in in the sky, uh, which let me say when I when I read it, it it kind of sounded like like a contrail, like from an airplane. <laughs> that's the way it, it it seemed. It's the way it seemed described to me. Like you have these long, uh, wispy streaks crawling across the sky, like a line drawn with cloud, is the way it's described. Too straight to yeah. be natural. Uh, but he couldn't imagine what can make that's that's just what I'm picturing in my mind. Yeah, no, I think that's what you're supposed to 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 bring to mind here. I think that's that's exactly what Jordan is getting at here. Yeah. So that's curious. Yeah. But we're in a seemingly in another world, so I guess anything is possible, right? Yeah. Uh, even and it doesn't necessarily even have to be something that's caused by what it would normally be caused by. It right. could just it could be, be a natural formation of this weird sky. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Anything is possible. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, it's... No, I just... It's just the world itself is like it's... It, it just leans back with what I was talking about earlier. It's the, the world isn't... They are... It's like they are real and the world is not. The world yeah. around them is very like almost transient in nature like it's not firm it's not stable it's very like you know if you turn your head too fast the whole world seems like it shifts you know it's yeah it's not uh firm uh you know you look at you know a place that should be nearby and it looks like it's a million miles away and you look at a place that should be far away and it looks like it's right there at you and you know the whole world just doesn't seem right (laughs) yeah so I, I will say uh, I didn't put we didn't put this in the doc, but I, I think we do need to talk about what's going on with Huron and okay. saying that you know it's it's more like he's remembering the trail rather than actually sniffing it or or smelling it. Like uh, he even mentions that there was the place where he could have sworn that hundreds had been slaughtered right under his feet minutes before, but there was like no evidence of anything like that. I mean, the only thing he saw were their own hoof prints. So there's something strange going on with, with here. And it's like, he can, he can sense something. Yeah. But it's not what he normally, normally would do. Yeah. And my, my thought here is given the nature of the, the world that they're in, is it possible that Huron is sniffing multiple realities at once okay he does mention like, that, that like, there's there seem to be trails crossing the ones that they're following yeah so is Huron? so i think we can firmly say that most likely the trail that he is smelling is the trail in the real world right um it's you know there's no evidence to show that the dark friends are actually here with them um so is it possible that while that's happening he's also able to smell you know, he smells violence. So maybe he is picking up on violent acts and violent trails from various worlds. Uh, the one that they're in is pretty insubstantial, which to my mind leads me to think that it's probably laying closely and touching multiple other worlds. Yeah. And so I think what's happening is maybe Huron is getting signals from all of them, basically. So. That's just my theory, anyways. Yeah, this this whole multiverse thing is still like racking my brain, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I 
let's I guess talk about the 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 main event of this chapter. Um, yeah, you know the the prize fight, the the big you know the top the top billing on the card. Um, Balzaman shows his ugly face quite quite literally this time. Um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, you know, and this is for Rand the first time he gets any kind of confirmation that Balzaman might not, not be over. dead. He has been, you know, constantly, anytime somebody mentions the Dark One, anytime somebody brings that up for ever, ever since, you know, the battle at the end of the first book, he has been, and I know it's, you know, it's not that long ago, but he's telling everybody, no, Baal Zaman is that even going as far as one point as having the, the, the guts to use the name Name Shaitan. Yeah. And now he might be having to come face to face with reality that Balzaman's yeah. not gone, not really gone. Yeah, but there's still that little part of him that wants it to all just be a bad dream. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, as much as he's experienced these dreams before, I think there's still that little voice in the back of his head that's like, "No, I killed him. This is this is just a dream." But then the end of it pretty much knocks that away. Yeah, well, there's a lot that. That that gets talked about here in the middle, and I guess some of it we've we've kind of gotten hints at before. You yeah. know that they're they're old enemies. They fought each other multiple times. Balzaman is, you know, trying to seduce Rand, uh, and and even for the most part, won't even call him Rand. He keeps calling him Loose Theron. Yeah, calls him Kinslayer. Even mentions, you know, he he knows every name he's used. In every age, uh, so this is this is a cos- this is like a cosmic battle that's been going on since the beginning of time, which we kind of, I think, understood that. But is it though, or does Bialzaman just want Rand to think that? Well, I mean, it is Bialzaman, so I guess it wouldn't be the wisest thing to take him at his word. Yeah, because he also tries to convince Rand that he has chosen in the past to serve him. Yeah. So, yeah, how much can you really trust of what Balzaman is saying? That's 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 a good point. That, that's a good point, which also brings up, you know, the I know we've been we've been going back and forth at this for 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 weeks now. The idea of the Black Aja, uh, you know, Balzaman seems to confirm that yep. there are Aes Sedai who are following him, and I know we've seen those in the prologue who had the Great Serpent Ring, but then again, it's Balzaman. So how do you know whether or not he's telling yeah. the truth? I mean, at this point, you know, it's, I guess it's all but confirmed, but there's still, you know, I, I, I'm trying to put myself in in Rand's shoes. You think there's still that little bit of doubt, you know, about yeah. about that? Because he, you know, just the idea, first of all, Aes Sedai is scary enough, add to the fact that he thinks they're trying to use him to be a false dragon, and then you want to throw into that mix that there are some who are dark friends. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want to, uh, I wouldn't want to believe that either. No, and I can't, I can't rightly blame him. I mean, it's a lot to try and take in and it's, you know, Moraine has told them over and over again that if he believes anything, the dark one says, and he really is a fool, you yeah. know, 
the fa- he's literally called the father of lies. So while as a reader, I think there is some truth in what Balzaman is saying here. I don't think Rand, at least I hope Rand, isn't necessarily giving full credence to what he's saying. <laughs> well, he does keep trying to deny everything yeah. that, that Balzaman is saying, you know, even, you know, going kind of repeating that old, uh, I guess, mantra, if you will, I deny you, I deny you, you can't touch me. Um, yeah. And Balzaman's but, like, oh, really now? <laughs> yeah, Rand, Rand doesn't escape this encounter entirely unscathed. No. You want to wanna tell us about that? Because this, yeah, is, actually, so, this mean, is actually really cool. In a way, yeah, I guess. He is, act, Rand acts as though he will strike out at Balzaman again. Uh, I don't have the book right here in front of me to look at the exact scene but it is uh you know he's denying him and then he it's it's kind of crazy it's just like rand has the sword valzaman is basically going to prove to rand at this point hey this is not uh something that i'm not joking around this is real like and so the sword that rand is holding it becomes basically like it's on fire in his hand and that's what wakes Rand up. And then he wakes up and that heron that is on the hilt of his sword is now burned into his flesh. Am I getting that right? Cause I, like I said, I don't have it right here in front of me. Yeah, there was, uh, you know, in, in this, you know, the whole thing, you know, it seems like a dream. It feels yeah. like a dream, but you know, there, you know, Rand was supposed to be on watch when all this started. So, and I, I'd like to think better of Rand than thinking that he fell asleep on watch. So, that's where I'm coming up with, the, oh, yeah. you know, with whether or not it's a it's a dream or if there's something else going on. Of course, we're in this world that you know. I guess, like we said before, anything is possible. And it, it, you know, as you know, right before Baalzaman disappears, there's the fire. It seems like I think there was it was mentioned that there was seemed like like the mist or the fog was burning itself. Yeah, and, uh, it's basic. It it seems basically like Balzaman is trying to give Rand a taste of his own medicine after what happened to him and how yeah. Rand basically lit him on fire <laughs> uh, yeah. at the end of the last book. But then, um, just as just as suddenly as it showed up, it was gone. Yeah. And and Balzaman was gone too and all Rand has is this this mark on his hand. Yeah. Uh, Which re- remind me if I'm right when he when the mark develops he's not even holding the sword. He just wakes and suddenly his hand just the welt and the burn appears. Am I correct? Uh if because let me let me see if I can find it because he he does drop the sword. Yeah. Right. Uh, he cried out as the hilt burned in his hands, screamed and dropped the sword, and the fog caught fire, fire that leaped, fire that burned everything. Uh, I'm not going to read all of it, but uh, skipping yeah. down a little bit to after Balzaman had disappeared, Rand is convinced that he's imagined all of this, but uh, it says, before relief had a chance to grow, pain stabbed his right hand, and he turned it up to look. 
there across the palm was branded a heron, the heron from the hilt of his sword, angry and red, as neatly done as though drawn with an artist's skill. So I think that's an indicator right there. Is he basically he is surrounded by that fire? He's holding the sword, but I think that he is in a dream at that point. And then he comes awake, and he's still not sure if he's still in a dream or not due to the nature of this world. But I think that, like, he's obviously not holding the sword. He thinks it must have all been a dream. And then as after that, like, there's that pause, and he's about to feel relief, and then the burning happens. Yeah. So I think it's it's a bit of a delayed reaction, but I think it's directly caused by what happened to him in the dream. And I have a theory as to why that is. Okay. Um, so we are given the, the hint in the last episode, we talked about this at the end, with uh, Egwene possibly being something called a dreamer. Sure. So dreams obviously play a big part in things in this world. Uh, you know, we see that they can be partially linked to foretelling Balzaman has used dreams to hunt them and to hurt them in the past. My thought is pos- maybe it's possible that because of the way these worlds, these worlds of if, these worlds that could be, I wonder if they're not closely tied with uh, dreams, like in the nature of how dreams are possible, are possibilities. Okay. Dreams are our minds spinning out realities. I wonder if because of the nature of these world, this world that they find themselves in, if they are not more close, uh, like if you think of dreams as like a room, if the world they're in now is not closer to it, and that has uh, made what Balzaman is able to do here stronger, or at least more lasting, I guess. Mm. But that's just my personal theory. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. A lot of possibilities. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of different things that uh, could be going on, I guess. Which I guess, uh, you know, I'm I'm still, if I'm being honest, I'm still a little fuzzy on the whole multiverse thing and different worlds <laughs> and all of that kind of stuff. Like I said, it's above my pay grade, but um, you know, I'm gonna accept it for what it is. I'm gonna understand it as best I can for the nature of reading these books and 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 you know knowing what i know from further on in the series i i do understand a little bit about how some of this works that's why i said earlier i do have some thoughts that i can't really reveal right now um, right i do as well i don't want to spoil yeah. things for our readers well you 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 have knowledge and you probably there're probably some things that aren't really fleshed out that you still have theories about i'm sure but you know, again, it, it's it's just there is a lot to wrap your head around when it comes to that. But you know, yeah. I like seeing you know we're, we're seeing growth in the characters. Uh, Rand is yes. stepping up. Perrin is stepping up. Matt is becoming more like Matt. You know, yeah. a, a little bit. So you know, he's not the. I think he's not being moody and broody like he was for the. Few yeah, this few is days. really. I think we're we're seeing Matt's character is a bit on the stunted side, and we're slowly getting more in, of him because honestly, the Matt we got in most of book one is the Matt that is 
you know, under the influence of the dagger. Sure. So we really, while we were getting to know Perrin and Rand and Egwene, we didn't really get a chance to get to know Matt outside of his base character yeah. in the first book, because what we do learn about him really isn't him. Yeah. Uh, and we haven't really spent any time in his head yet either. So. No. And I'm trying to remember, but I don't think we will for quite a while yet. Okay. Well, uh, uh, other than that, um, I guess I can say no white cloaks in this episode. Uh, I there mean, was there was a brief the mention, kind of. Uh, yeah, yeah, but 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 that was a more of a memory of something that had already happened. <laughs> no white cloaks actively in these chapters. True, uh, but their so presence is still felt. <laughs> their presence is still felt, and even though you know they probably deserved what Perrin did, you know, well they maybe they did deserve it because they are the worst, always will be. Um, you know, one of these days we're going to be reading and I'm going to find out that, you know, the white cloaks are like integral to saving the world. And I'm going to all this time I'll be saying they're the worst and oh, no, wait, they uh, actually did something good. Um, but for now, white cloaks are the worst. Uh, you got any final thoughts? Um, you know, no narg. <laughs> uh, narg. Uh, yeah, no, I there's a lot that happens in these uh, chapters and there's a lot that even going all the way through doesn't necessarily get resolution here. This is one of the things that we may or may not get more information on. And it's just fun to me to really uh, just puzzle out in my mind exactly what's happening with these worlds and with these stones. And uh, I don't know. I just love it because it makes for a larger world to me. You know, it's it makes the world grow yet again. There's so much here. It makes it feel like a real lived-in world when there are questions that the world itself causes you to think about. Yeah. It's not even part of the narrative. It's just the world itself has caused you to question the world. <laughs> oh. uh, and so that's, I think Robert Jordan does a really good job here of doing that because it's not an easy thing for a writer to do. Yeah, yeah, definitely some some good world building going on. But I'm I'm gonna let you I'm gonna let you do most of the grunt work on all of that multiple world things. Anyway, uh, <laughs> why don't you why don't you take us on home? All right, guys. Well, uh, I want to thank everybody for joining us tonight. Uh, Justin, thank you for joining me. Always. Uh, Listeners, listeners, I am happy to have had y'all along for this ride tonight. Again, we will have a new episode every Tuesday. Um, if you could, please uh, leave us a subscription or a review. Give us a rating on whatever uh, podcast platform you found us on, however you found us. Uh, if you can do that, it would be super helpful. And we would really love to hear from you guys. Uh, we have a Twitter account at WinBeginning. Uh, we're on Instagram at The Wind Was Beginning, and we're on Facebook and YouTube at The Wind Was a Beginning, a Wheel of Time podcast. Those are all great ways to reach out and talk with us. Uh, or you can just give us an old-fashioned email at thewindwasbeginning at gmail.com. Any way you want to reach out, we'd love to hear from you, yes. get your feedback. Yes, please. Uh, if you've got questions, we'd love to take your questions. Um, you know, by all means, just reach out. We'd love yes. to hear from some of you guys. Please, please reach out. Uh, Yep. Uh, so to get y'all ready, uh, next week we will be covering chapters 16 through 18. 
Uh, so y'all all go ahead and read those and be ready to hop on with us next week. And we look forward to seeing you guys. Y'all have a wonderful night. Bye, everybody. <laughs>